Hello and welcome to another week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne, broadcast nationally on their community radio network and brought to you by your local community radio station. I'm Sarah McKenzie. On this week's show, we'll follow the Health and Community Services Union, HACSU, on their campaign to hold the Labor Andrews government to their pledge not to privatise public disability services. Earlier in May, HACSU organised a Certainty for Disability rally in Melbourne CBD and on Saturday the 20th protested at the ALP State Conference. We'll also feature an interview with Sally McManus about the future struggles of the movement and an interview with Paul Murphy, the CEO of the MEAA, talking with New South Wales reporter Colin Hesse about the Fairfax strike that happened earlier this month. But first, some union news. The Transport Workers Union has called for jail terms for employers who engage in wage theft from their staff. The union has demanded that governments of all political persuasions hold employers to account over wage theft. TWU National Secretary Tony Sheldon wants a law change to ensure that wage theft by employers is made an offence. In a speech that he made to the TWU National Council in Fremantle, he explained that when a boss steals from a worker, it's quaintly referred to as underpayment, and then they can reach a settlement with the Fair Work Ombudsman to repay that money. Worst comes to worst, companies will simply be asked to pay back what they owe, and that this is actually an incentive for employers to see what they can get away with. He wants employers to be accountable with jail terms if they steal from their employees. In the past year, many instances of wage theft and underpayment have been exposed. Places like Keltex, 7-Eleven, Grilled, Baker's Delight, Domino's, and that's just to name a couple that have been caught. On the 15th of May, women participating in the Victorian Trades Hall Anna Stewart Memorial Project developed a stunt to target WorkSafe. This continues the We Are Union Women campaign against gendered violence at work, which frames gendered violence as an OHS issue. Activists protested at the front of WorkSafe in Melbourne to draw attention to gendered violence and to call on WorkSafe to take action. The Anna Stewart Memorial Project is an initiative to encourage more women to be present and active in unions. Anna Stewart was a journalist, an activist, and a Victorian union official. And as an activist in the union movement, she researched and argued work value cases, initiated campaigns against sexual harassment as an industrial issue, and assisted the ACTU maternity leave test case and campaign. The Stop Gendered Violence campaign is drawing attention to the impact of gendered violence and sexism at work. More than 10,000 mine workers at the Freeport McMoran Copper and Gold Mine in West Papua, Indonesia, have gone on strike. The dispute centres on job security amid ongoing concerns about job losses. In response to the strike, the company has sacked 178 workers, with the announcement that another 120 will soon be fired. The company is declaring it an illegal strike because of the mine's national strategic importance and has announced that the striking workers would be considered absent without leave. But there has not yet been legal judgment on the legality of the strike, and it is still illegal to fire workers for striking in Indonesia. (laughs) 
In response to the 2017 budget announced earlier this month, the National Union of Students held a day of action. Rallies were held across the country on May the 17th to protest the Turnbull government's plan to cut university funding, increase student fees and lower repayment thresholds. About 5,000 students and supporters joined the action. Last week, Stick Together's Matt Kunkel discussed the proposed higher education cuts in the federal Liberal government budget with National Union of Students President Sophie Johnson. If you missed it, you can listen to it on the Stick Together podcast. And if you'd like to show your support to the campaign, you can sign the Stop the War on Students petition at megaphone.org.au. Public bus drivers in Sydney went on a 24-hour strike last week in reaction to the New South Wales Transport Minister, Andrew Constance, and his plans to privatise public bus services on some of Sydney's bus routes. Minister Constance announced the public bus service would be privatised but did this without any consultation with the community. This is despite written assurances to workers last December that these routes would not be privatised. RTBU Bus Division Secretary Chris Preston said that while members were deeply apologetic about inconveniencing the public, they felt compelled to respond to Minister Constance's outrageous attacks on public transport. The union is calling on the Premier to intervene as a matter of urgency and to put a stop to this attack on the public transport network. This will affect inner Western and South Sydney commuters as well as public transport workers. Sally McManus was elected the Secretary of the Australia Council of Trade Unions in March this year. She was the first woman ever elected to the position. Previously, she was Secretary of the ASU and then the ACTU Vice President and Head of Campaigns. Here's Annie McLaughlin speaking to Sally McManus after she appeared on a Feminism in the Pub panel in Melbourne earlier in May. What I'd like to know is, uh, well, one, congratulations for you getting your job, but uh, what are the big challenges? Well, the biggest challenges are, I think, um, insecure work and the fact that 40% of uh, workers now don't even have sick days or annual leave because they're in insecure work. Alongside that, you've got basically employers who just thumb their noses at um, the rights that workers have, which is the reasons why we see a massive amount of wage theft. And all throughout our system, we see examples of where workers don't have strong enough rights at work, and that's the biggest challenge. We've got to um, reimagine them and make them stronger. There's some really creative methods that the corporations are using to uh, throw workers out of into the cold. Like the business about making um, tugboat uh, workers part of a trust, for example, and mining workers. Uh, this is part of what you're talking about, unfair laws, isn't it? So um, I think the employers have realised that if they try and just take away rights in the Fair Work Act that there'll be a big backlash. So what they've done instead is they've invested in lawyers and they've gone about working out every single way they can get around it. So this sort of telling people that they're contractors when they're not contractors, using labour hire just to replace workers and to negotiate agreements that are only two people signed off on. I could, like, the list is so long, I could go on and on and on about it. They're all mechanisms that 
you know, the power of capital are using to get around what our rights are. So uh, what I'm saying is our workplace laws are broken, they're not strong enough, and that's because of all of these examples, so we need to change that. Now you just said that you believe in a change comes from the bottom. Can you expand on that? Well, there's nothing in the world that's um, brought about real, real change, real lasting change than people. And actually, it's simple at the end. It's just people deciding to stick together and to be unified and to all push in one direction. It's the uh, most powerful thing in human history, always has, always will be. And I think that's the same if you look at small fights or little fights. If you look at what we've got to do in terms of changing um, the rights workers at work, there's going to be a lot of powerful people who won't like that. And the way to counter that isn't through just TV ads or just through, you know, from the top, you know, advocating or negotiation behind closed doors. Essentially, it's going to be up to us to be able to build a movement of people that take on that power because that's going to be the only antidote. And so, practically speaking, you're saying at workplaces people need to pass, you know, I'm, the first thing people need to do is start talking about um, inequality and about power and about how some people in our society have too much of it and working people don't have enough of it. Once people see that that's actually what's going on, it makes sense that we need stronger protections and strong, stronger rights in the face of that change. Then what we need to do is we need to point out all the different ways that our um, laws, our rights um, aren't working anymore. So. Every time an employer decides to casualise work, workforces, they lock out workers. Um, I could go on and on. Wage theft that happens all the time. These are all examples. They're all demonstrating. Oh, like lawyering, uh, people yeah, losing their... enterprise agreements is another new way that they've found through their lawyers to do this. We've got to make the public case. and We've got to win the argument in the public that we need these changes in order to be able to build a movement. Thanks very much. No Stick, Stick together. together. Yeah. Stick together. together. Yeah. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio. At 9am on the 10th of May, journalists at the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age walked back into work with their heads held high after a seven-day strike protesting the job cuts at Fairfax. An outcome from this strike is a Senate inquiry into the future of journalism in Australia. The MEAA, the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance, the Union for Journalists, has long called for the government to come to grips with the crisis affecting journalism. And this campaign, this strike and the public support it received has definitely been a catalyst for the Senate inquiry. It's an inquiry that wouldn't have been established without the pressure from this very public campaign. And it's a campaign that highlighted the threats to quality journalism that will result if Fairfax continues with its plans to make 125 metropolitan daily journalists redundant. During the campaign, over 10,000 members of the public sent messages to Fairfax CEO Greg Highwood opposing the cuts. On day one of the strike, Colin Hesse, Stick Together's New South Wales reporter, interviewed Paul Murphy, the CEO of the MEAA. Uh, this is the latest in a long line of cuts at Fairfax. The newsrooms, the Herald, the Age and the Financial Review have, have been effectively halved over the past five years. Uh, and this latest announcement would take uh, as many as one in four of the remaining journalists out of the newsrooms. 
I understand that there's already been moves to pretty much outsource everything that's not essentially political or financial news, which affects our cultural life. I mean, well, I, I think sports exempt from that at the moment too. But it it does carve up. It does mean that journalism and it, well, one of the two key private journalist, privately owned journalists, you know, news organisations in the country is now essentially pretty done if it keeps going this way. It's, look, we think it's, it's simply the wrong decision. It's, it's not as though uh, there aren't parts of this business that are profitable. The domain uh, real estate listings, uh, uh, part of the business, you know, is profitable. Uh, they have an events business. Uh, they've entered into a joint venture uh, for, for stand, uh, for video on demand. But the, the thing the company fails to understand is None of those other parts of the business have any value without the journalism. It's only because they're associated to the journalism uh, that has developed such a strong reputation over you know, more than 150 years that they have any value. But the only part of the business they cut is, is, the, is that journalism part. Uh, it's, it's, it's wrong-headed and it's, it's heading the company for, uh, for disaster. Indeed, I, I know since you know since the I guess the dominance of the internet or the rise and rise of the internet from the beginning of the century, you know companies have said they can't make money or they've difficult they find it difficult to make money. But do you think there's even a dawning realization that in fact it is journalism that sells that is in fact why people go to the internet in a lot of cases, but for that matter still buy newspapers. Yeah, well, look, I mean it's 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 always been the case that journalism. Um Journalism doesn't make money in and of itself. Journalism attracts an audience uh, and you, you can sell things to that audience. So, you know, in the traditional print days, it was print advertising. Uh, Google and Facebook uh, have worked that out uh, to a greater extent than anyone else in the history of the world. I mean, they're reaping 90 cents out of every new digital advertising dollar. They're not spending a cent on on journalism, but it's 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 largely news stories that's, that's driving that traffic uh, through their systems and as a result all of that advertising revenue. It is a conundrum, Paul. I mean, what are you looking for? What's the, what's the Media Alliance looking for from Fairfax at this point? We want the company to, to seriously reconsider the decision that it's made and to, to grasp the reality of uh, the, the situation the company's in and the media industry's in because, you know, journalists are being made to bear the brunt uh, of, of all the disruption and decline. But at the same time, the executives at the top of the company continue to take pay packets that reflect, you know, the golden age of print advertising. Uh, you know, uh, another $2.5 million in bonus payments directed to the chief executive, Greg Highwood, we read about in, in the Australian newspaper the other day. Um, the, the bonus scheme for the top three executives in Fairfax, we estimate, could be worth more than $30 million, the share options that they have. And those, those bonus schemes are linked to cutting, to, to, to putting other, other people out of work, and particularly journalists. It's a funny think, way to measure performance, isn't it? it it's, it's, uh, it's quite perverse. Uh, and when you think that the, the cuts they announced yesterday is cutting $30 million out of the editorial budget and at the same time, Three people at the top of the company are looking to reap $30 million. It, 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 it is simply wrong. You're listening to Stick Together. 
workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. This is Sarah McKenzie and you're listening to Stick Together, brought to you by your local community radio station. When they attack disability, what do we do? Stand up, fight back! On this week's show, we're following the Health and Community Services Union, HACSU, on their Certainty for Disability campaign. The Andrews government has announced that they are seeking to privatise Victoria's public disability services. Last November, Stick Together covered a rally at the front of the Labor State Conference, which was organised by Haksu to protest the privatisation of disability services. Daniel Andrews addressed the conference that morning, saying that as the NDIS rolls out, no one should be worse off, not clients, not disability workers. But Haksu maintains that people are worse off and that by privatising services, the wages and conditions of more than 5,000 dedicated disability support workers will be slashed. So again, Haksu has come out and protested at the front of this most recent Labor State conference on May the 20th at Mooney Ponds Racecourse to demand certainty for disability, for families, for patients and for workers. I spoke to a couple of people at the front of the conference. My name's Patty Bradbury and I'm here um, because of my son Simon who has an intellectual disability and he lives in a group home. Um, He is very well cared for at the moment in a a government group home and I'm very concerned about the government's um, supposed intentions to privatise the group homes because I just feel that um, the level of care and the quality of the carers uh, will diminish uh, with privatisation. I mean, it's inevitable because um, private organisations that run group homes, they they pay probably about a third less than what um, government-employed carers receive, and, and basically you get what you pay for. My name's Mark Farthing. I'm a senior policy advisor at the Health and Community Services Union, HACSU, working on the NDIS. Uh, So we're here today to protest the Daniel Andrews Labor government's uh, decision to privatise Victorian public disability services. So uh, these services, uh, there's over 500 group homes in the state of Victoria. Um, They service about 2,500 clients and they're supported by about 5,000 workers. Last, on the the 1st of December 2015, the Andrews government broke its words saying that uh, it was going to investigate uh, which providers could take these services on, so code for privatisation. and since then we've been running a campaign and we've been running a campaign with families, we've been running a campaign with our members um, saying don't do it because the reality is is that the non-government sector where these uh, these clients and these workers will go uh, is underfunded roughly to the tune of about $32,000 per resident. Uh, that's under the current system. So uh, there's issues with the NDIS pricing, it's even more poorly funded. And in a sector where there is labour costs amount to about 85% of a business, the only way you save costs is by cutting wages, cutting conditions, cutting qualifications, cutting training, increases to casualisation. And we've seen so many Senate inquiries, both at the federal level and in the state of Victoria, saying that these things are a big contributor to uh, the high prevalence of abuse and neglect in, in the disability sector. So. 
This government's trying to transfer some of the most vulnerable group of people into an underfunded sector and there's going to be really bad consequences. My name's Barry Fitton. I'm a parent of a uh, resident of a community uh, unit for people with a disability. This is my son Michael. He won't say much but he, uh, he, he's got a lot of problems and he lives in the community. What is the biggest concern for you right now? Uh, our concern is the introduction of private contractors into disability care sector. <laughs> we have our own experience where my son was left one night as soon as he came home from his uh, day placement, he was left sitting on his bed and he was found by a permanent staff member in the morning still sitting in the bed because he's incontinent. Of course, he was urine because he's got an ileostomy bag. His bag had burst and his face is all over the bed and he was shivering cold. And that was when they got a contractor in to uh, look after him. And, and the whole problem being that there's no control over these contractors and they're not accountable. My wife then contacted the department when we found out. We only found out because a permanent staff member told us, did the right thing and reported it. We found out, we contacted the contractor and the contractor said they would counsel him, but they haven't done it yet. But don't worry, he won't be coming back to that unit, but he'll be going to another one, of course. Is there a significant difference in, in training and professionalism? Oh, yes. Well, what appears to happen is there may be some people that are competent who work for contractors, but the majority of the people are people which they appear to have picked up, tell them that they have experience and they haven't, and it's been found out when they actually come to perform the task. And, and it's a real worry because these people are defenceless. They can't talk, they can't protest, and goodness knows what happens. You know, you've got their health at risk, you've all, they also have behavioural problems, other, other problems, whereas when you have the permanent staff, they become like the family. <laughs> Getting contractors in, it's just like on Mother's Day having another mum coming in there because she's a little bit cheaper than your mum. Under privatisation, uh, at the end of the day, because they would be not funded by government, they'd be funded out of what NDIS pricing is. That means that your average frontline support worker is going to face an $80 a week pay cut. Uh, someone who's managing a group home would face a $300 a week pay cut. Uh, someone with an advanced diploma working with people with particularly complex needs is facing a similar $300 a week pay cut. Uh, so the cuts are huge um, and you're just going to see a lot of people with a lot of experience leaving the sector in droves. Part of today's rally was to ask uh, Daniel Andrews for a meeting with Haksu. What's the outcome of that? Uh, yes, so uh, just yesterday evening, uh, the Premier's office got back in touch with Haksu, uh, accepting uh, a, a meeting with Haksu and family members to discuss our concerns. Uh, couldn't meet today, this is when we called for it, so we're going to be meeting with the Premier uh, in a couple of weeks' time. 
the key thing that we're going to be asking uh, with families is to give all public sector residents the choice to remain users of public disability services. The NDIS is all about choice. This government said that its decision about privatisation is about providing people choice, but there's no choice in privatisation. That's it for Stick Together today. Thanks for listening. This program is produced in Melbourne studios of 3CR and it's broadcast nationally by the Community Radio Network. Podcasts for this show can be found at 3cr.org.au slash sticktogether. If you'd like to get in contact with the producers of the show, you can give us a call on 03-9419-8377. Or you can email us at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. And remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. My name's Sarah McKenzie. Until next time, stick together.